you would, to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. I, I have spent, every October I spend hours and hours and hours praying uh, about the messages because um, missions is so important to me and to, to, to my heart and, uh, and I believe to the heart of God. And I, I spend hours and hours and hours uh, praying uh, specifically on these messages, and and this this message is no different. But as I meditated on on this message, I kept asking myself, what is the heart of missions? What is the heart of missions? And I I I kept struggling with different thoughts, and and anyway, I did some reading, and I came across a quote by a guy named Oswald Chambers. Oswald Chambers. Is a, is a just an incredible guy. I, I don't know a lot about him personally, but I I have read a lot of his 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 uh, books and different things. And he had to have been a man that walked with God. Uh, just <clears throat> incredible. But anyway, he gave, he gives a definition of missions here. I want to share it with you. <clears throat> he says a missionary is someone sent by Jesus Christ just as he was sent by God. And I, I thought about that. I said, wait a second, a missionary is somebody who was sent by Jesus Christ, just like Jesus Christ was sent by God. I thought, wow, that's a, a thought I'd never quite put together. But then he said, then he goes on, and, and listen to this, because this, this caught me flat-footed, in a sense, if you would. He said, the great, Controlling factor is not the need of people, but the command of Jesus. I thought, wow. And, and we'll get to this, okay? And But Paul is a perfect example of that. Paul, well, I, again, I don't want to get ahead of my message here. The source of our inspiration is our service for God is behind us, not ahead of us. And we have the ultimate missionary in Jesus Christ that we can look to. But human beings, humanly, we look at the need of people more importantly, do we not? But according to him, a missionary should be more concerned about the will of God. And that is that is that is, is an incredible statement. And <clears throat> as I meditated on, on this, I kept coming back to one person. That's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, in my in my estimation, apart from Jesus Christ, was the greatest missionary to ever live. He started countless numbers of churches, influenced thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his writings to uh, the church at Corinth, Paul writes uh, this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15. He says, I will gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now you have to understand the, the, the church at Corinth was not a spiritual church. They were a very carnal church. And Paul here makes a, makes a statement. He says, I will be spent, or I will work hard for you. I will, be, I will spend and be spent. 
He said, I will work hard and I will work hard to the point of exhaustion for you. But then he says something that is profound and I believe goes along with what Oswald Chambers says. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. In other words, what is he saying? I, am, I will work hard, I will work to exhaustion, not for you, but for Jesus Christ. Oswald Chamber continues his de- definition. He says, when looking back on lives of men and women of God, that the, the tendency is to say, <clears throat> what wonderful, uh, keen, intelligent wisdom they had and how perfectly they understood all that God wanted. But the keen, intelligent mind behind them was the mind of God, not human wisdom at all. We give credit to human wisdom when we should give credit to the divine guidance of God being exhibited through childlike people who were foolish enough to trust God's wisdom and his supernatural equipment. That is an incredible definition of a missionary. Normal people, normal people willing to step aside and say, God, use me. As I thought of the Apostle Paul, three things came to my mind that I believe demonstrate his willingness to serve the Lord. Are, are three really three, three passions or desires that Paul had. The title of my message this morning is The, the Heart of Missions. And I, I don't know, uh, only, I think only God can answer the question, what is really at the heart of missions? But I think... I really believe that Paul's the three desires or passions of, of Paul here that we're going to look at this morning, I, I think are at the heart of missions. The first one, and please get this because this is, this is important. The, the first one, go where God wanted him to go. He would go where God wanted him to go. Acts chapter 13, hopefully you're there. Uh, Let's look at um, uh, verse 2. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate uh, me, Paul, uh, Barnabas, and Saul, or or Paul, if you would, uh, uh, for the work wherein I have called them. And when they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Cilicia and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Turn over to chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Paul and Barnabas are, are traveling and uh, they're they're doing a work for God and and um, anyway Paul and well I, I don't want to anyway just uh, chapter sixteen and verse five we're focusing on Paul right now uh, chapter sixteen and verse five it says so when the church is established uh, so <clears throat> and so were the churches established 
in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia uh, and the region of Galatia uh, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to uh, Messiah, they essayed to go to Bethina, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passed by Messina and came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering uh, that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together, and thank you for the word of God. And thank you for this man named Paul who uh, exemplified, I believe, the heart of missions. Lord, as we look at this man this morning, I ask that you would encourage our hearts and that you would help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul wanted to go to Asia, and God closed the door to Asia, and he says, no, don't go there. And then he, then he tries to go to uh, Bethina, and, uh, and he, God says, no, don't go there. And then God clearly opens the door to Macedonia. Again, let's going back, I'm going to go back to the quote. Um, it says, the greatest control factor is not the need of people, but the command of Jesus. Who knows better than Jesus Christ? See, Paul was seeing the need of people, and Paul wanted to, to minister to people. That, that, was, that was what he wanted. But more than anything, he wanted to do the will of God. He wanted to go where God wanted him to go. And, and as God closed doors, he was obedient to that. So I have, less, I have five lessons I want you to learn this morning. Lesson number one, let God open and close doors for you. Let God do it. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but I, I love to kick doors open. I, I just do. I, I will walk by open doors just to be able to kick a door open. Now, is that stubborn or what? <laughs> it is weird, but that's, I, I just, you know what? I, I want to do what I want to do. It's, it's really that simple. But we can learn a very important lesson here. Let God open and close doors in your life. Now, hopefully, hopefully, I've gotten better about that the older I've gotten. I try not to do it as often as I used to. Because everybody knows the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Recently, I was asked if it was right to put out a fleece. And a fleece, if you don't know what a fleece is, is it is a sort of a test, if you would, to know the will of God or not. Uh, it comes from Judges chapter 6, verses 36 and following. A guy named Gideon was struggling with knowing the will of God in his life. 
And Gideon, <clears throat> it says, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, Behold, I will put a fleece of wool uh, in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know <clears throat> that thou wilt save Israel by my hand. As thou hast said, and it was so, for he arose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed out and, and, and wringed the dew out of the fleece. Not only did God put dew on the fleece, but it so he soaked the fleece. A, a, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and upon the ground. <clears throat> Let there be dew. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only and there was dew on the ground. Now, I, I, I don't know, but I imagine that was probably a really heavy dew because God wanted to teach Gideon a lesson. Now, some people would say, I've heard, I've heard several preachers say, that Gideon was a man that had little faith and that he had to put this fleece out to be able to know the will of God for his life. I, I'm not so sure about that. I've put out many fleeces in my life, asking God, God, okay, this is what I think, I, I, I believe this is what you want me to do, but I need to know for sure. And one of the things that you find in Scripture, well, let me, let, let me rephrase that, one of the things you don't find in Scripture is God reprimanding Gideon for putting out the fleece. He never says, you, 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 you person of lack of faith, or he never says anything derogatory to or about Gideon. David was a man after God's own heart, but he, he asked God questions. Uh, <clears throat> An example, uh, Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1, he says, My God, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the, uh, from the words of my roaring? David, David was in a jam and he, and he says, Why hast thou forsaken me? David questioned God multiple times through Psalms. Jesus Christ also questioned God. Does that phrase sound familiar? What did Jesus say on the cross? Matthew chapter 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatni, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Lesson number two. Don't be afraid to ask God why. Don't be afraid to ask God why. So, number one, 
<clears throat> Paul's desire, his passion was, number one, go where God wanted him to go. Number two, to share the gospel. To share the gospel. Turn over, if you would, to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, let's start reading in verse 12. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority... Well, let, let, me, let me stop here for a second. Let me explain what's going on here before we read it. What's happening is uh, the Jewish leadership has brought Paul in front of King Agrippa. And, and, and the Jewish leadership is, is desiring to have Paul executed. They want Paul dead. So they bring him before the king. And Paul here, it, it's interesting, Paul, Paul is a Jew obviously, uh, and he's a Pharisee, but he's also a Roman citizen, which is unusual because most Jews were not citizens of Rome. But because Paul was a citizen of Rome, he had the right to address the king personally. Had he not been a Roman citizen, he would not have been able to do that. But because he was a Roman citizen, he, could, he had the right to stand before the king, and the king had to listen to him. So this is what's taking place. They, they brought him before the king, and in verse 12 it says, Whereupon, and we're kind of coming in halfway through his conversation with the king. Uh, he says, Where, Whereupon, as I went uh, to Damascus with authority uh, and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw uh, the way, a, a light from heaven <clears throat> above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journey with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which will, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, and whom now I send thee. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul here, standing before the king, gives his testimony of salvation. He tells him, he says, hey, uh, this is how I got saved. God came to me. Boom. I fell on my face and God talked to me. Then 
he goes in and then he not only tells him his salvation experience, but he tells him the purpose for his life. The purpose for his life. And that is found in verse 18. Let's read verse 18 again. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may uh, receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Point letter, uh, letter A, to open their eyes. To open their eyes. The Greek word translated to open is used in such a way that it shows purpose for what Paul is, is God has called Paul to do. So the purpose of Paul's ministry was to open the eyes of people. Okay, now we know that this is talking about spiritual eyes and not physical eyes, but Paul's purpose of his ministry was to open the eyes of people. The grammatical thing about this this word to open is 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 significant. It is what we call an infinitive of purpose. Okay, so just bear with me. Hopefully this will make sense. I hope I don't lose you here. It is an infinitive of purpose. It is the same root word that we see in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, it's the same root word. I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So this infinitive of purpose is clearly referring to spiritual eyes. It is clearly referring back to his purpose of ministry. Lesson number three. You cannot see your true condition if your eyes are closed. If you're walking around with your eyes closed, you cannot see your true condition. Letter B, to turn them, to open their eyes and to turn them. The Greek word translated to turn is is also an infinitive of purpose. So what you have here grammatically is a dual command. So the dual command here is to open their eyes and to turn them. Okay? So don't lose me here because this is really important. The word to turn does not it does not mean to be walking this way and to make a slight turn or change of direction. Those of us that were in the military know that the word turn here literally means to do an about face or a 180 degree turn. So so the the idea here in here picture this Paul is saying the purpose of my ministry is to get people to open their eyes to see their condition and get them to turn from going this direction to going this direction. Now, what's also interesting about the grammatical structure of this this particular phrase is that when you have two infinitives of purpose 
back to back. The first one, or the second one, becomes dependent on the first one. Okay? In other words, you cannot turn until you open your eyes. You have to open your eyes first. See your condition. Then you can turn and your life can change. Let me give you an example. How many of you have ever shared the gospel with somebody and, and then at the end they say, well, I'm not ready to get saved yet because I need to fix my life first. There's so much in my life that I have to fix now before I can get saved. How many of them ever get saved? I don't know anybody who's ever said that that's gotten saved. Until they open their eyes first. So the the grammatical point here is this, that you can't change until you realize your condition. And what Paul is telling the king here is, the point for my life is to get people to open their eyes and see their condition and turn and go the complete opposite direction. That brings up a legitimate question. What are they supposed, when a person opens their eyes and sees their condition, what are they supposed to turn from and to? Okay, it's here, in, it's here in verse 18. It says to open their eyes and to turn them from what? From darkness to light. From the power of Satan unto the power of God. So, Paul is telling the king, my purpose in ministry is to get people to see that they are in darkness and get them then to turn to the light or to the power of God. But the turning can't take place till the eyes are open. In other words, a person cannot get saved until they find themselves a sinner. So, lesson number four. You cannot change your life until you see your true condition. So what is the motivation behind all this? The motivation is very clear here. Uh, Paul was motivated to live this life of a missionary. All the churches that he started, the imprisonments, which were multiple, the beatings, which were multiple, the shipwrecks, the the forfeiture of wealth. Paul, most theologians believe that Paul was very wealthy when all this started. And he died a pauper. Why would a person forfeit all of that? Well, the answer to that or the motivation to that is also in 18, uh, verse 18. It says, <clears throat> to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of God, uh, from the power of Satan unto God, that, this is the motivation, that they may receive forgiveness of sin. 
What was the driving force? What motivated Paul to do what he did? To see people saved. Forgiveness of sin. But he doesn't stop there. And he says something else. He says, And inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You know, Paul is saying here, look, the thing that motivates me, King, is the fact that people get saved, their lives get their, their lives are changed, their sins are forgiven, but they also get an inheritance. Because when you become a child of God, you are automatically grafted into the family of God. And our inheritance is twofold. We get a we get a heavenly inheritance, do we not? But we have an earthly inheritance. You know, do you realize that every time God answers a prayer in your life, you're getting a little piece of heaven? God is so good to us. And Paul is telling this to the king. His burning desires was one, go where God wanted him to go. Number two, share the gospel. And then number three, share his heart. Share his heart. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement here. Um, and I hope you understand what I'm about to say. I don't believe you can share the gospel properly without sharing your heart. Because if the gospel has taken root in your life, then you are a changed individual. Look at, back up and look at, look at uh, in chapter 26, look at verses 9 to 11. You know, the gospel is not just a bunch of words. It is the evidence of, of change in a person's life. In verses 9 to 11, Paul says this. He says, Verily, I, I verily thought uh, myself, uh, uh, with, excuse me, with myself, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem. And many saints did I shut up in prison and have uh, received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave <clears throat> my voice against them. And I punished them off in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. And being exceeding mad against them, I persecuted them even unto the cities. God changed my life, King. God did a work in my life. And Paul was not afraid to tell the king, hey, God has done a work in my life. I am not the same person I used to be. And he's given me a passion for, for sharing the gospel and doing what God wants me to do in my life. Acts chapter 7, verses uh, 50, 58 to 60, it says, And cast him out of the city and stone him, uh, and the witnesses, this is talking about Stephen, by the way, I'm sorry. This is talking about the first martyr in the New Testament. And they, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at uh, a, a young man's feet whose name was Saul or Paul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord, uh, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the instigator of the first martyr of the, of the, of the New Testament church. Paul had done some really, really bad things. After sharing the gospel and after sharing his heart with King Agrippa, the king says something that had to have broken the heart of Paul. I call it the saddest verse in the Bible. Look at verse 28, chapter <clears throat> chapter 20, 26 and verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. How very sad. After all that Paul did, Paul, Paul shared his heart and he gave, he gave the king the gospel. And yet the king says, almost, almost. Lesson number five, salvation is a choice that each person must make on their own. Salvation is a choice that we all make on our own. I have a book in my library. I have, I have a lot of books in my library. But I have a book in my library. <clears throat> it's a secular book. It's not a, it's not a Christian book. But it, it is uh, the name of the book is Good to Great. It is a motivational book. It's, a business, it's, a, it's wrote, written for uh, business, business people. But the title is Good to Great. Uh, the first sentence of the book reads like this. <clears throat> Good is the enemy of great. And that is the one, excuse me, that is <clears throat> one of the reasons why we have so little that become great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's just so easy for a good life. The vast majority of companies never become great principally because the vast majority become good. And that is the main problem. Let me add this. We don't have great churches principally because we have good churches. Few Christians live great and victorious lives principally because they live good lives. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with good. I don't want Grace Baptist Church to be a good church. I want Grace Baptist Church to be a great church. I don't want to live a good, mediocre life, Christian life. I want to live a great Christian life. How in the world am I going to do that? 
understanding that Jesus Christ is who I work for. Doing His will. Having the same passion as Paul to, to not just to share the gospel, but be willing to share my heart. Mr. Collins, the author of the book, Good to Great, continues with a question. Can a good company become a great company? And if so, how? Or is the disease of just being good incurable? That can be applied to our lives as well. I read this book many, many years ago, but I've never forgotten that. Let me close with this. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count now myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How was Paul able to stay focused on doing what God wanted him to do? By not living in the past, but living in the future. With his eyes on the goal. The heartbeat of missions. The heart. The heart of missions. Number one, go where God wanted him to go. Number two, to share the gospel. Number three, share his heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be good. I don't want Grace Baptist Church to be good. I want it to be great. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I am truly thankful and grateful for all that you do. For all that you do in our lives, it is un... un the, It would be impossible for us to share all the good things you've done in our lives. And Lord, we ask as we conclude our service that you would do a, just do a great work in our hearts and lives. Lord, help us catch the vision of Paul that we don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to just go through the motions. We want to be great not for our own sake, not so that we can build a humanly great church. No. Numbers, the size of our churches means nothing. It means everything to be a great church in your eyes. And that's what we want. Help us, dear God, to never lose that focus. We are truly blessed and we truly thank you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. With every head.